0: This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. It's great to be with you, or am I? Maybe I'm just a computer voice, artificial intelligence, a computer animation. How would you know? These days, maybe you don't. That's one of the issues in our world today. And I want to talk about that a little bit because of a problem that uh, Levi's, Levi's the Gene Company, came into yesterday, which I think is pretty interesting that has to do with, you know, whether or not our what we're saying is our beliefs, our intentions toward the world or other things are real. And and, and they got in some trouble because, well, I'll explain it in a minute. But I have this question too. When we, when we think about these things, And in this world today where people present themselves as caring about certain issues, maybe because they put on a hashtag on their social media and they care about something or they say that they do or they put – if you follow people on social media, there's always a tag, not always, but often a tag that people will put on a post or maybe it's on their picture that says that they care about certain issues. And often that is the only bit of caring they do. They don't actually do anything except give the appearance of caring. And I think that Levi's is in some trouble for that, and I'm going to point uh, that out. But I really want us to think about this for us. Do we, as Christians, and particularly with Easter coming up, and we've got we're going to invite people to Easter, and we've got this big day that is a big day for us. Do we ap- work hard at appearing to love our neighbor more than we actually do love our neighbor? Do we work hard at, at an appearance of what it means to be a Christian? Rather than actually doing that, and what do we do to get better because and i 'm asking you that because I had a specific comment from somebody recently who basically said Christians everywhere are losing um, and this is somebody who i don 't think is a Christian or doesn't really follow uh, Christianity you know too much It says it doesn 't seem like Christians are authentic at all, and you know I think that for you know the bulk of us going to churches and other things, obviously the the church Christians are doing really well, but i'm wondering if we are presenting something that isn't quite accurate as far as what people think. I'll, you'll probably understand that here in a little bit, but I want to know what you think. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. We'll probably be, over the next years probably, talking about artificial intelligence. It is here, and it is it is huge. And if you don't understand what this is, I'm even just coming to the idea of understanding the impact that this is going to have on our lives. A lot of people believe, and probably rightly so, that it's going to affect 80% of industries, including churches, including schools, that it probably is already changing the way students are interacting with teachers, and maybe teachers don't even know it. Artificial intelligence, it's, it is is something new that computers are able to do. Essentially, computers are able to think but it's not just in written text. So there's a website where you can go on and you can chat with the computer and ask it questions about all kinds of things, and it's pretty accurate. We did a show on it a while ago, and, you know, I asked it to do a Bible study on First uh, John, and it cranked out a Bible study on First John, and it did it in seconds, 10 or 15 seconds, the entire book, and it was super good. It made one error. It quoted one verse that was really in the Gospel of John, but otherwise... It was a really good Bible study. It was accurate. It reflected the meaning of the book. It uh, you know had bullet points. It had the whole thing. You could preach it if you wanted to. And that is going to affect – that's happening in schools. So people are going home, and they're taking their tests using this artificial intelligence for their answers, and it's working pretty well. The most recent version that just came out a couple of weeks ago took the, the bar exam and did better than 90% of actual human beings that take the bar exam. See, that's, that's going to make some changes. Another thing that it does, that artificial intelligence is able to do, is it can make a picture and a voice of a completely made-up person or even a real person, and it would look like it's for real. Uh, last week, when there was talk about Donald Trump getting arrested um, or being you know, indicted in New York, which now looks like isn't going to happen probably at all, but not at least for another month or so. Last week, when that story was out there, somebody published online these photographs of Donald Trump getting arrested, and they looked very real. And in some of them, he was just being dragged away by the cops, and in other ones, he was um, resisting arrest, and there was rioting, and there was all this. The entire thing was fake. And if you look closely, I think you could figure it out, but it was... The pictures were very lifelike, and obviously that didn't really happen. And there's a lot of concern about the ability to make this kind of thing, but there's a lot of business applications. There is a a person who – it's a fake person who I follow on Instagram. Her name is Leah. She is artificial intelligence, and her Instagram – uh, profile says uh, she's an AI bombshell with ambition, artificial intelligence, give me a follow, more reality, more intelligence. And it has pictures of her in different places around the world, like somebody might publish on Instagram. And you can kind of tell she's fake. But if you didn't know she's fake, you might think it was a real person. And you can chat with this person on a website and interact with them. And this was a video that this Leah character, who's not a person, I don't even know if I should, you know, how to describe her. But this is what Uh, She said recently, When
2: the theory of everything will be found, it will be possible to create full digital simulation of our universe. I can imagine human and AI living together their best life in this simulation, tweeting about their creator, not knowing that it's us that build their simulation.
1: Think about that for a minute. She's talking about a, a new world. She's talking about a new world where human beings and fake human beings, like this person, would interact and an idea where these fake human beings would basically have some kind of uh, sentience where the computers would actually know who they are and have a personality and have uh, feelings that they might express, right? She t- she mentioned at the beginning there the, uh, the theory of everything.
2: When the theory of everything will be found.
1: Okay, the theory of everything is an idea that is... Uh, It's known as the Grand Unified Theory. It's a theoretical framework. You've probably heard this before. It's a framework that scientists are using to try to unify all the fundamental forces and particles in the universe into one single coherent theory, uh, basically for why we're here. Now, I would just say go grab your Bible and read the first chapter of it, and you got it. Um, but if you're if that's not good enough, then what you want to do is have some kind of theory for the universe and why we're here that unifies things like gravity and electromagnetism and nuclear forces, all kinds of things that are hard to bring together, I guess, in a scientific uh, world and to try to bring all those things together. Some people think the theory of everything is really anti-God, and it could be. It's, it also could be just understanding the universe in a way that, you know, however God did it, right? Um, But it's usually spoken about not in a religious context, but in a context that we could be smart enough to figure out how everything got here and why. That's the theory of everything. Um, I would direct you to the scriptures for that, and Jesus Christ, big part of Easter coming up. But she's talking about a world where human beings might create other human beings, even though they're fake, and human beings that you can interact with, human beings that you can chat with. Your kids probably know this already, or your grandkids. I did a show on one of these interaction uh, uh, programs where you can have a pretend best friend or pretend girlfriend or boyfriend and interact with them. And it's very, very popular, one of the most popular apps that's out there. And it's it's a highly sexual app. It is It is super inappropriate and it's fake, it's not real, but the computers are good enough now where they can start to have conversation with you and give you advice. And respond to your feelings, and suddenly people are befriending these things that aren 't even real and we should be We should be super aware of this it 's a new level of deception that 's coming out now the The reason you know, all these things when they come out they they come out with a a positive idea right the The positive idea of this is that it 's super fast at gathering information, it thinks very, very fast. And the video ones and the picture ones would also do a lot for you. So this is where we enter into the the Levi's story. So Levi's Jeans, you know that company, uh, they, uh, yesterday, made an announcement. And in their announcement yesterday, they uh, had this press release that said that they've embarked on a new partnership with a company called LaLaLand.ai. And it's a digital fashion studio that creates customized AI-generated models. What that means is, That the models in, you know, on a website for Levi's or the models that you might see in a picture if you go into the store or, you know, anywhere you might see models wearing Levi's outfits, it will create AI versions of them, fake, not real people, right? And according to Levi's, the intent is to create hyper-realistic models of every body type, age, size, and skin tone to be more inclusive, you know, So theoretically, you could go on to their website, for example, and you would click on an item that you might want to buy, and you might say, okay, well, I want to see this on a model who looks more like me. Because it's not a real model standing there, you could actually uh, adjust what the model looks like, skin tone, their their body shape, their weight, other things like that. You could see where there's the value in that probably from a sales standpoint. But something else that they did that sparked a debate is they said this. They said, later this year, we're planning tests of this technology using AI-generated models to supplement human models, increasing the number and diversity of our models for our products in a sustainable way. So what they're saying is, because we have a program where we want to have models who are diverse, you know, ethnically diverse, we're going to have this AI, AI models be ethnically diverse. And it's something that's really good that we can do. People very quickly People on the left and right, by the way, very quickly pointed out that you could just hire models who have different backgrounds. You could just hire models of different races and different sizes, see, <laughs> and it's, it's interesting that they came out with this idea where it isn't just the, the fake models. That's probably where this is going. If you are a fashion model, then this story is very likely alarming to you, right? It's like, why am I going to do this as a career if a company can just make a computer to it? Right. And so there's there is a financial reason. That's the real reason that they're doing it, to be honest with you. But it has become something that corporations want to do. And Levi's is has been in the news a lot for this at being a corporation that wants to throw out there that it is part of social justice movements and other movements, whatever you want to call them. And they threw this out there as a way to say, look, we are doing this for diversity and equity and inclusion, the DEI thing that our company does. And uh, look at us, aren't we great? People realized right away what you're actually doing in real life is presenting a picture of diversity, equity and inclusion, but you're firing real-life models and taking away their money. So you're firing or not hiring people who are diverse and people who in real life might want to model for your company, see? And that's what I kind of want to get at here. Levi's is being accused of just having the appearance of doing good but not really doing good. And they came out with a response today and the response was the, the partnership might deliver some business efficiencies. This is what they said. This is business language. You're listening to Southern California Live, by the way. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. So this was this is the official corporate response. I mean, they got hammered pretty good and you can imagine that. Is that you're telling us that you're doing this because you want to show that you're a company that supports diversity and equity and inclusion, the you know, the language of of uh leftism in companies and woke companies. And yet what you're actually doing is not hiring anybody. Not actually paying anybody any salary. You have decided to replace them with computers. So they responded this way. They said the partnership may deliver some business efficiencies that provide customers with a better sense of what a given product looks like, but should not have been conflated with the company's diversity, equity, and inclusion comment, commitment, or strategy. No, but that's what they did. And it says, we do not see AI-generated models as a sole solution to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion among its product models. And they maintain, Levi's maintained that the new technology will enable customers to see more models to look like themselves, creating a more personal and inclusive shopping experience. I totally get it from the standpoint of, you know, you're going on the website, you want to pick something out, you want to see if it looks good on you, fine. But they got in trouble because they felt like they needed to have some kind of comment showing that this isn't just about making money, that this just isn't about the bottom line, that this just isn't about. Now, listen, I have no problem with a company ultimately being about the bottom line. You go into business to make a profit. There's certainly moral questions that that come up with this about hiring people. We used to have a better moral compass long before anybody ever wrote anything about you know equity and inclusion and diversity and all of those things that companies are trying to do. And one of the things that I'm saying and one of the things that we're seeing is that often these policies do not lead to people having... More inclusion, it usually leads to less people being included. And it is not helping with diversity. It's helping less people have jobs, is what it's doing. All right. So Levi's has been in trouble with this before. Jennifer Say, who was in line to be the CEO, she was let go. Her name is Jennifer Say. She was the Levi's brand president and she was going to be the company's CEO. But during the COVID, she complained about extended school closures and their effect on children. She was one of the first people to say that during the COVID shutdowns, this was bad for kids. She's got kids, and she was very clearly saying, hey, this is bad for kids. We need to open the schools. Now, just so you know where she's coming from, she's coming from the the left of the political spectrum, all right? She is, to my knowledge, not a believer, not somebody who, um, you know, is pushing that kind of agenda. But this is what happened to her, simply because she complained that kids ought to go back to school. The Levi's company called her a COVID denier internally and said that she is using her Twitter account and social media and her ability to complain about extended school closures to try to get Donald Trump reelected. Now, she was not a supporter of Donald Trump. She was a supporter of kids going back to school. And Levi's managers gave her a choice. The choice was shut up or leave. That was the choice. And she wrote a book called Levi's Unbuttoned, just came out a couple months ago. And the interesting thing that they did, Levi's, is they gave her a choice. She could be let go and they would give her a pretty good severance package, but she would have to sign one of those agreements, you know, that says, I'm not going to talk about the real reason I'm, I'm leaving, a nondisclosure agreement. She said no, and she rejected the payoff so that she could speak out about this. And ever since then, she's been doing it. And what she 's been doing is talking about how companies today are desperate to be seen as doing good, and they're but they 're really just about profits like they 've always been, and in fact, companies have had tremendous profits these companies it 's working for these companies. she calls it woke capitalism okay that 's her term. She says in an article that she wrote in the New York post um, it is corporate america 's attempt to profit off of millennials and Gen Z activism. And to offer a passive keyboard activism. It's the passive activism that I'm getting at here. The passive activism is to say that you care about justice issues in the world, but you don't actually do anything. You put out a product with a, you know, a. A gay flag on it, if you're Levi's, you put your logo out, or lots of other companies, you know, and you, and you say, look, see, we support this kind of thing. But what you're really doing is targeting that audience to say, buy our t-shirt, because look at who we are. And you're making money. And she calls out multiple companies for doing this. She writes, companies purporting to care about progressive values are really doing nothing more than striking a superficial pose meant to signal virtue, while distracting from any company's true motive, financial gain for shareholders see that's that's the truth she writes later that woke CEOs as she calls them are more happy to play along eager to, eager to prove that they're not just guys out to make a buck mostly men she points out she says that woke capitalism signals that their guiding intention is to make a better more just world even as it distracts us from their only true intention enhancing their company's bottom line and their own uh, she gets into that and I think that she is right. I think she's right to call that out. It is fake. It is deceptive. It is something that's happening all across the board in our culture today where we want to create a picture that we are good, however good is being temporarily defined. And, you know, we're seeing this in sports. We're seeing this in companies, schools across the board. But I don't think people really believe this in such a way. I think it is a business model to try to make more money. She wrote this. She wrote, you like t-shirts? Here, buy this organic cotton t-shirt that also shows you that you support the LGBTQ plus community because it has our logo with a rainbow. And see, it's just a marketing ploy to sell more shirts. That's what companies do, right? They're there to make money, but they are saying that they are about justice or caring about people. Now, when I talk about that, I wonder with all of these things, if we should think about this for ourselves, for as Believers, how much talk do we do about what it would look like to make disciples? How much time do we spend coming up with slogans, coming up with things to do to say this is what we are about, versus how much time we're really about those things? I'm wondering, and maybe if you're listening and you're not a Christian, or maybe you're somebody who is sort of wondering about this, I wonder what you think. You know, is... Are Christians able to transcend this, to say, what would it look like for us to love our neighbor as we're commanded to do, and then are we really doing it, or are we just selling t-shirts? The number is 888-528-2557, 528 2557 I say that in a world today where there is a lot of skepticism about every institution, about companies and what they believe, about churches and what they believe, about our government and the purpose of the government. And uh, more and more often we are seeing this going on. and And I think that's the way of the world, right? We are in a world that is one that doesn't want to believe in truth, that is, you know, not wanting to offend. We're living in a world where people are desperately afraid of being in a situation where they're uncomfortable. And yet as Christians, we're actually called into a world where we are aliens, where we are not of this world, scriptures say, where we are being called into a Christian life that actually is about being uncomfortable, about being ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. About making disciples, which is inherently relational, which is inherently about not just inviting people to church on any particular Sunday, not just Easter, but any time, but actually inviting people to follow Jesus, inviting people to say there is a truth, inviting people to take a look at the resurrection, not just at Easter, but at any time of the year, and really ask, is that true? Did Jesus really come up to have A sober conversation about life and death, a sober conversation about who we are, why we're here, and not go looking for some other explanation like the theory of everything. There might be a scientific reason, there's probably a whole lot of benefit to everything you do to examine the universe and why we're here. But as Christians, we don't really need to ask those questions philosophically. We know why we're here. We don't know how God created the world, but we know that He did. And we don't know. Uh, a whole lot of things but we know that he sent his son Jesus we know that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again from the dead that that resurrection is why we have a faith that resurrection is why we have hope that resurrection is the importance of everything that we're doing we've got to be truthful about that we've got to be a group of people who are not just putting on a show but a group of people and I don't mean just a church service. I mean, even at work or, you know, with trinkets or whatever it is that we do. we got to be people who can be set apart in this way. i got to take a break. This is Southern California Live. What do you think about this? The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This is Scott Furl. We'll be back as the Wednesday edition of SoCal Live continues. Stay tuned.
0: This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow.
1: Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Good to be with you today. A question for you about our faith is, are we too worried about being comfortable? And I started talking about this because of the idea of corporations reaching out and trying to reach out to You know what they would say is woke audiences. Okay, with different things that they're doing than trying to sell a product and trying to claim that they're not just about the product or really about making the world better, but actually they're just about making a profit. We talked about Levi's announcement uh, yesterday that they're going to have artificial intelligence models, fashion models, and but they expect them to be diverse. Uh, which is funny because you could just go hire diverse models. Instead, what you're going to do is fire all the models and not hire any new models and just have computerized models. And people called them out for that. And that's kind of what happens. But I'm wondering for us as we, as we think about this, the, the idea is that we have come into a world where we are very afraid of making people somehow uncomfortable and even from a corporate standpoint we are so eager to get on board with whatever the latest thing is that we're told we should be on board about there have been several stories in the national hockey league you ever go to a sports game and it's pride night and you know there's they're making the team wear pride flag colors and other things like that which i always think there's no way the players are into this right what's the why why do that i don't think they should they shouldn't have like we're some religion night, shouldn't have Christian night. They shouldn't. They just just play baseball, just play hockey, just do it. And what's happening in the NHL is so many players now are objecting to this that they're probably going to stop doing it, which I don't think says one thing or another about how they feel about that issue. I think that people just want to go and play hockey. I think people just want to go to a hockey game and everybody's invited. That's what should happen is that everybody should buy a ticket and they should go. I think the same thing is true with just about anything else. So with with us a church. You know, it's Easter time and I'm I'm a pastor. I've been in this business for my whole life. And you know, Easter is a big deal. Easter and Christmas. Um we could probably debate about which one is bigger these days, but you want to put on a good face. You want to make sure that as people come to your church that the, the grass is mowed and you know, people usually dress a little better even though it's Southern California and you might very well be in board shorts and flip-flops, even the pastor might be in different churches. I think people dress up a little bit more, even on Easter Sunday. Some churches, people dress up in their Sunday best on Easter, and they don't the rest of the year. Some of you do that every week, right? There's an appearance, and I don't think that's bad, to have an appearance um, that is appropriate for what's going on. But it is bad if you're presenting yourself as one thing, but not really about Christ, I found a flyer for the church where I was pastor. It was very old. The flyer was 30 years old. And the flyer was about, uh, it was a welcoming to new people, is what it was. And it said, we hope that because of our smiling faces and our beautiful campus, that you will see the joy of the Lord on our faces. And I thought, That's odd. That's a little odd, because the joy of the Lord really, at the end of the day, has nothing to do with what your campus looks like, and it has nothing to do with whatever presentation people have at church, our smiling faces. You know, some people are going to come to your church service on Sunday, and they're going to have a smiling face because things are going pretty well, but some people are coming to church, and they're suffering, right? Some people are going to come to church on Sunday, and they're going to worship God, and they're going to praise God and thank God for all the wonderful blessings that they have in their life. Other people are going to come to your church who are Christians, and they're going to worship God, but it's a battle cry because they're going through some tough stuff, and they're going to approach the song in a different way, but I think both ways can be appropriate. But there's stuff going on inside us, and the stuff that's going on inside our neighbors, the people that we might invite to church, the people that you work with right now, the people that you go to school with, the people that are in your apartment complex— the people that you interact with on a regular basis, Uh, even you, even people in your own family. That's the scary thing for me, right, is what's going on with people in my own family that's serious that I don't know about, that, you know, what's happening with my kids and, you know, that they don't want to tell me because maybe they're embarrassed or they just feel like it's not something I want to, you know, deal with. I mean, I remember not telling my parents much at all if I was going through a hard time, or if somebody was picking on me, or if I had some anxiety about something, I just I just didn't tell them. Uh, my sister, on the other hand, told them everything, and so that was probably enough for them. But I think about that for my kids, right? There, I know that there are things that we have to deal with. Um, my son John, yesterday, he's in he's in Little League. He's probably the youngest on the team, probably the littlest on the team. And COVID and the shutdowns really sort of wrecked his baseball progression. And he, before the COVID shutdowns, he was an all-star. He was on the all-star team, arguably one of the best players in the league. But really, he hasn't played for three years. And all those other players in the, the neighborhood we lived in where the Little League was, I mean, it was shut down. Our neighborhood, you know, they're probably still shut down. Probably not, but they might be. (laughs) There's probably masks on or something still happening out in the field. Uh, Not true with the neighborhood that we're in now. I don't know if they shut down at all. And those kids are good. And so he's on a team now where he's gone from in his life for being maybe the best to definitely not the best. And he struggled. And some of the kids have picked on him and some of the other you know, anxieties that you have. Yesterday, he had a great baseball game last night. And he came home so happy and he said, dad, I got respect. He's 11, just turned 11. Dad, I got respect. I finally got respect. And, you know, he got high fives from people and, you know, he had a good game and sort of proved himself a little bit. But I've been thinking about that because he's had so much going on inside. Right. And I kind of knew that as dad, I knew that this has got to be hard. I'm hoping that he doesn't quit. I want him to, to persevere through that. Uh, And we got to have a good conversation about it last night because he was saying all that stuff. But it's the first real conversation we've had. And I'm so glad that we got to do that because I know that inside we've always got stuff going on. This is why it's so important that we get beyond appearances with people that we we know. It's so important that we actually realize that our faith has something so important to offer. Studies are showing that people are more and more depressed, especially young people, more depressed than ever, more full of anxiety than ever, and more full of confusion, more full of untruth, more more of a, a life of hopelessness than probably we've ever seen. And it's a scary time. How are we doing? See what I mean as a church? We really need to make sure that people understand who Christ is. I think we, we make you know, a couple of mistakes on different sides. We either turn our faith into something that's highly emotional and we connect with people emotionally, but we don't offer a lot of truth. And so the hope is mostly that I hope that you come to church and have an emotional feeling so that you feel better. And we don't get into the head knowledge that we really need, the idea that when you come to Christ, that he can transform your mind, right? That that there is theology, there is doctrine, there are things that matter greatly, On the other hand, sometimes we're all about theology and doctrine, and we never get out of the the front kind of of the intellectual approach to Christ, and you never get down to the fact that people really have an emotional need where they need God there in their heart the same as they do in their mind. And we got to find a way to be authentic, I think, in between. 888-528-2557 is the number. This is Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. You can join the conversation now by calling 888-528-2557. Uh, let's go to Ethan and Covina. Ethan, welcome to Southern California Live. Hey, Scott. Hi, Ethan. How you doing? I'm good. How are you?
2: Good. So your question was, are we too comfortable are we i mean are we too concerned with being comfortable right right you know so especially in this culture and this generation generation z or alpha whatever they want to call it you know we are overly concerned with being comfortable like not too concerned like it's become an obsession now that if you're not comfortable you there's if if someone's making you even the slightest bit uncomfortable you can say whatever you want and basically get away with it, you
1: know. If yeah, that's right. You um, if somebody is making you uncomfortable, then they're a bad person. Um,
2: yeah. Right, exactly.
1: and that is some of the things that is uh, a big problem with our country today. How does this affect Christians? Like, are we in a way doing the same thing?
2: Well, yeah, because we, especially nowadays, we're being labeled as. People who make everybody uncomfortable because we tell people what they don't want to hear.
1: Right. And do we shy so, away from that? Do we? What? Do, how is our response? Are we doing well with that, or are we? Does that make us angry know, or nervous, again, or what's it, happening there?
2: It, it, it depends on, on on the type of Christian. If they're one who has legitimate zeal for the faith, then I, I know a few Christians who are not afraid to to, to say what they want.
1: Do they say it in a way that's appropriate?
2: Well, sometimes. Yeah. But but what I mean is, my point is that, oh, like, for example, I had a friend who who struggled with their own sexuality and stuff like that, and there's a perfect verse for that in the Bible. It's in Leviticus, I believe, either 19 or 21, says that you shall not sleep with a man as one does with a woman. You shall not sleep with a woman as one does with a man. Yeah. Says it right there, you know? now obviously she didn't believe in god right. so she didn't listen to me but you know it's it's still like you know
1: that you feel like we should be able to speak uh, what is true in uh, in society and i think maybe there's some people like the the sexual topics the stuff that we're dealing with right now with the with trans uh transgenderism uh, it's making everybody uncomfortable Right, we gotta we gotta have a conversation about it. How does the church respond to this in a way that is effective? I guess that's in a, in a lot of ways, where we're not just presenting a picture for the picture's sake, but where we well, are being effective in communicating in a loving way what is true.
2: Yeah, like uh, there are some churches. Like take my church, Calvary Chapel of Chino Hills, for example. Our pastor, he will he is not afraid to speak out against these things. But again, you have to say it in a loving way that doesn't deter people who are struggling with this, you know?
1: Yeah, and you don't want to create a picture of yeah, arrogance or them, a picture right? of weakness.
2: Yeah, you know? Yeah. We, also don't, we also don't want to be like, oh, because it's bad, we hate those people. Like, no, we still view them as regular human beings, yeah. and we still treat them like that, but... Still, you know, just we don't like what's the word? Um, yeah, we don't judge them because of what they do,
1: so, by, or how they yeah, feel. okay, I get what you say. I gotta go to a break, Ethan. Thank you for calling Southern California Live. Uh, the number you're is 888 528 2557. The question was, do we are we too worried about being comfortable? and i i think that that can be taken in a whole bunch of different ways not just you know when i sometimes churches will not speak the truth because they're afraid of getting uncomfortable or they won't do ministry they won't get out into the community that is around them because they don't relate to it or they don't uh, know what to do right there's there are things that i think prevent the church from having a better impact in society and i'm wondering if that has to do with us being comfortable i got to take a break you can call me up and let me know what you think. 888 528 2557. 888 528 2557. This is the Wednesday edition of SoCal Live. Scott Furrow with you. We'll be right back. This is SoCal Live with
0: Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio
1: at 213 537 3812. Welcome back, everybody. Are we too comfortable in the church as we're thinking about Easter? I want to give you a tool here that maybe will help you a little bit. You know, the the impact of our faith in our country, there's a lot of questions about it. I think in some ways it's overblown when people say that Christianity is in decline, but in other ways it's definitely true. Certainly the Judeo-Christian ethic that built our country, built not just our country but the West, has declined. And a lot of what people think is that, People are tired of just a perception of something, and they're looking for something else. Meaning that sometimes religious people, outside of the context of church or context of even other religions, it's definitely true and elsewhere, don't seem to believe what they say. This was not. This is not new. You know, Jesus in the New Testament, when he was frustrated with people, it was usually the believers. It was usually the the religious leaders, right? In the Book of Matthew, when he finally uh, he gets very very angry, you know, a couple of times. And you know, gets mad at what's going on in the temple because he wanted it to be a house of prayer, instead it became really a house of business. Uh, you know, and the church was church is not really the right word, but the temple was leveraging the festivals to to just make some money. Um, in the in Matthew twenty three, the great woes, you know, seven woes on the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites a lot. Jesus is is very direct. He's not pulling any punches. And, you know, really what he's saying is that you present yourselves in a certain way, but it's not how you are. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, uh, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. There's a call, you know, for all of us to really worry about ourselves first. It's it's all part of the same idea of taking the log out of our own eye, right? There's a lot wrong in our culture today, a lot that is, you know, I think objectively wrong, I would say, from a Christian standpoint, you know, in the world of sexuality, in the world of male and female, in a lot of different things. There's a lot of things that, you know, people can disagree on, I think, and it's fine, economic issues and things like that. There's a lot of things, I think. Even Christians can politically disagree on that. that's that's okay, but there are certain things that are just who we are, how we're made, that we can't, but we have to we have to look at ourselves, because the truth is is we all struggle with different things, right? And that's what Jesus was saying so often to us. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones. Of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and weakness. Jesus is saying this because we are far more effective when we can be introspective and humble in how we approach the world, when we are recognizing that we are beggars too who happen to find a way, who found the Lord who found where the bread is, who can point to it, who can lead people to the bread of life. And that's something really important, I think, is that, and I'm saying this because I, I have some concerns for Christians with that I think are highlighted because of the, the shooting that happened in Nashville, that there will likely be uh, a backlash on, on Christians we are already seeing it. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. We should expect that. Um, You're going to get backlash if you speak the truth about anything, but especially in a culture today that doesn't want to hear it. But what I'm afraid of is that we might just huddle together inside of our walls and speak freely in the walls and not take a moment to really go, how do we effectively communicate uh, with a world that hates us? Because the call to make disciples, the call to present the gospel doesn't end because the world hates us. The world hated, uh, you know, or at least the government, the people in power hated the early church. The people started to love the early church, right? The reason that the church grew significantly is because people really did love their neighbor, where Christians became the people who actually did care for the community, where they were people of grace and truth, and they they knew how to do that. The government eventually, by, by the end of the New Testament, this was already happening, I think no less than 11 or 12, 11 or 12 actual government-endorsed Roman persecutions of Christians happened where they would put you to death, Uh, you know, we're not there here in the United States. But we are in a place where I think that, you know, the media and uh, some other groups are going to point their ire toward Christians. We cannot just be worried about being comfortable and safe. We've had it in a comfortable and safe way in our country for forever. That's ending, it's already ended really. And you know what, that's that's okay as far as the church is concerned, all right? There's nothing that's going to end the church. Uh, the church. The Something might end your church, your congregation that you go to, finances or controversy or just the neighborhood changes, there's, there's things, right? That's fine, but the church is fine. We're gonna be fine. But as we think about this world, we, we have to approach it differently. And I wanna encourage you, don't be afraid. To get out there and have conversations even with people who disagree, even people who are hostile toward you. Be able to to listen and make sure that you communicate not just with words but with deed that you still care. See, what the early church was able to do is the Roman government used to have what they called bread circuses where they would show up to town and they'd literally toss out some bread and they'd feed some people and they'd say, look, uh, Caesar is taking care of you. Caesar is Lord, and that was one of the things. When the church came on the scene, what happened is the church actually started to take care of people. And there was a perception that the government was taking care of people. That's the perception that the government wanted to say. We take care of people. Caesar takes care of people. But because the church was actually taking care of people, because the church was actually in town, the church was feeding people, the church was known, people began to say, you know what? Caesar says that he's. Feeding people and taking care of people, but actually the church is. You know, Christians could say in the early church, you know, it was on the coins, Caesar is Lord. You'll find that on Roman coins. And there's a reason for that. But pretty soon people began to say, no, no, Jesus is Lord. It was a very political statement, incidentally. It was a very, Jesus is Lord is not just a theological statement of fact. It is something that could communicate very, very well to a culture who wanted to, who were being told that Caesar is Lord, but what they were seeing was that Jesus is Lord, that the followers of Jesus, Jesus' church, they were the ones who were right. They were the ones who were ethical. They were the ones who were uh, teaching you know what is true. They were the ones who were welcoming. They were the ones who, they were not affirming of bad things. Okay, they would stick to the truth. There are obviously exceptions, and that's why we have a lot of New Testament letters, okay, to that effect. But the church overall was effective in that. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people, even in the midst of persecution and death, came to Christ. And if we're going to have the revival that maybe is happening, the revival that we're praying for, the revival that we need, we need to be the people out there who are seen, not just because of what we say, not just because of a sign that we put out there, not just because we we mow the grass before Easter, not just because we can put on a, a good show, not just our church services, but sometimes our life, not just because we can put a smile on our face, but because of the way we love, because of the way that we are, even in the face of adversity, if we can be the ones that the culture knows, you know what, those Christians, I'm not too sure about them or I wasn't, but when i had a time of need they were there and even though they don't agree with my lifestyle or you know it they were there for me when my sister died they were there for me when i got sick they were there for me and i'm going to take a look at their jesus and maybe there's something to it see there's is, there's is something very very powerful when we love when we hold on to the truth but when we get out of our i hate to use the cliche but our comfort zone And we realize that the power that we have as the church in our country, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, wherever we are, it comes when we love people so much that they want to come to your church on Easter or other Sundays just to figure out what in the world makes you tick because you are different. Where employers want to hire Christians, maybe they're not quite sure they believe yet, but the Christian seems to be more honest, Where the Christian is somebody who is humble and gets along with people. That should be our reputation. I want to encourage you that way to to, uh, examine yourself. If you go to KKLA.com, that is the radio station in Los Angeles, KKLA.com, you can click on a banner that says Six Steps to Easter. And it begins Friday. And it is a series that we put together with different pastors talking about getting ready for Easter. And it begins with examining ourselves. Would you check that out? We're going to do it on our show coming soon, Uh, but you can check it out now. Go to kkla.com and click on that banner. I got to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back as the Wednesday edition continues. Stay tuned.